thank you for joining me again today. I've come to enjoy these sessions where we can talk about a, a variety of things and as some people have mentioned as they either email us or talk to us on the phone, it seems like we're not only doing timely issues and um, issues that are important in terms of our current life, but, but they're also controversial in terms of what the Bible has to say. You see, really the final word is the Bible. It really doesn't matter my opinion. And as some people said, well, it just depends on which news source you get your story from. No, it really doesn't depend on that because, you see, God's Word is the foundation. It's the standard. It's the truth. And so today, as you can see by what we're looking at behind me, lawlessness, I'm, I'm really concerned because, you know what, the Bible has an incredible amount to say about lawlessness. And when we put those scriptures together, I think you'll see a pattern that's so important for us to observe. For example, listen to this in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjured persons, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. What a list! Unfortunately, that, that list often describes our society today. Or here's another passage, this one in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. So here the Bible identifies the last day. What are the, what are the signals, the indicators for the last days? It says, For men shall be lovers of their own self, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power of it, and from such turn away. Isn't it amazing that, that we're living at a time when these conditions really do describe our society? They describe the world that we live in. We've compared on several occasions the days of Noah to when the Lord comes back. You see, I believe that Christ is getting ready to come back for the church, and they've been called the rapture of the church. Those that are believers are going to be caught out. And I've mentioned to you that there's really no sign for the rapture. But we see signs for the tribulation era that's coming. We see indicators for, for what will take place just after the church is gone. And again, when we look at that passage in Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, that describes the civilization and the condition of the days of Noah, it's really something. Here's what it says, chapter 6, verse 5 of Genesis. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wickedness that abounded. Wickedness that, that almost had no end. And so as we look at these things, I want us just for a moment to, to say, what is this background, and what, is these, what are these issues leading us to? And I believe that as we come to our scriptures today, you're going to see something very important. But what I'd like to do, I'd like to show you a, a series of about four or five news clips all pieced together. And I think you'll get the tone of the society, the world that we live in. By the way, it's not just the United States, but this is now worldwide. I see the devastation taking place in Africa and Nigeria and, and around the world. Lawlessness abounds. Now listen to these news clips and you'll see what I'm talking about breaking, but at the same time, 
it says exactly where we are in terms of God's timing for taking the church home to Violence has now besieged the area known as CHOP, and it is no longer the summer of love, it's a summer of chaos. And early this morning, that violence was raw and real, where one of our community members lost their life, and police are still not allowed into that area, and were prevented to providing that police service to the area to locate victims and or render aid. Mike, Very so you're, troubling what's so you're going saying on. we've got one person killed, uh, potentially others injured. We don't know. We don't know what the incident was. But the Seattle Police Department cannot go in and has not confirmed. That is correct. Being a 20-year professional of public safety service, um, of our country to becoming a lawless state. Of those residents saying they're not even allowed to, uh, to, have a, uh, to have a vote or a say and they're feeling threatened. So this is a very deeply troubling situation in terms of public safety. This situation is about as scary as it gets for the business owner. He says he called 911 because there was someone breaking into his auto repair shop. He got here and came face to face with that burglar. No police officers on scene ever. And I was here all night long. Their business, Car Tender, is about 100 yards from the border of the so-called CHOP, but says no officer, no firefighter showed up. They had no choice but to let the suspect. Um, our 911 uh, response times have tripled in the area. They've gone from just over five minutes to about 18 minutes. Rapes, robberies, and all sorts of violent accidents have been occurring in the area they were not able to get to. So it is not a right for us not to be able to deploy our officers here. Chief Best spoke with protesters several times, and she and command staff evaluated the building and found someone did breach the facility. Uh, there is some damage, and it clearly is a mess around here, so we need to do a lot of cleaning. Well, as you can see, we're living in a lawless society. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? But I want to go just a step further, because what's the nature of that lawlessness? How does it begin? You see, I believe that there's ultimately two forces in the world. It's really God versus the devil. I know sometimes we say good versus evil, but the real truth is that the basic conflict is God versus the devil. And we're watching that take place. Look at this picture. Can you, can you believe that there's actually a, a young man who would say, if Jesus returns, kill him again. Undo Jesus.org. And not only that, notice his shirt. Trashing Christianity. You see, that's the society that we live in today. Isn't it amazing that they're not afraid to stand up for their, their society beliefs? But yet, if we stand up for our society beliefs, then we're condemned. Uh, let me tell you this. This young man someday will regret the fact that he defamed Jesus. He can't hurt Jesus. Believe me, Jesus is face to foe way bigger than him. But it shows the mindset of many people today. And... You see him against the background of lawlessness. Or what about this picture? Going to hell and proud. You know, last week I, I spoke a whole message on hell. Let me tell you, I hurt. I ache for this young woman. Because there's going to be a day that as she comes to Christ, she will drop into hell. And five seconds after she experiences hell, she will regret the fact that she made light of hell, that she made light of God. I don't show you these because I'm trying to be mean to the people that are holding these signs or wearing these shirts. No, I tell you that because I believe there's something even greater working in our society and in our world today. Here's what we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. 
for the mystery of lawlessness, or the mystery of iniquity, but really it's the word lawlessness, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And we're, we're watching that take place. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. What is that which restrains and what will be taken out of the way? I believe that's the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit in the life of believers prior to the rapture, they are holding back a bigger tidal wave of evil and lawlessness that is yet to come. You see, the, the Antichrist works best in this time of lawlessness. He, he wants confusion. And when he sees this confusion, not just in one country, but worldwide, believe me, it allows him to do the devilish work that he wants to do. And so how do we combat it? Well, let me tell you this. I don't know that society will ever come back to it without the Word of God. And here's what I think. I think that it's going to be individuals that will come to God, come to Christ, come to the Word of God in these last days. That's why our aim is to tell people, are you ready? Do you know God's plan? Here's the plan of salvation. Because individual by individual, that's how God works. Can you imagine a parent, let's say the parent of the prophet Daniel. He was a godly young man, bright young man, had everything going for him. And do you realize that he was taken captive? It wasn't Daniel that had sinned. It wasn't his parents who had sinned. It was society that became lawless and godless. They began to, to dishonor God in every possible way, even taking the items dedicated to God in the temple and using them for, for profane things, bringing idols into the temple itself. And Daniel paid the price, carried away captive. And, and yet, what a testimony Daniel was. Here's the question that I've been asking myself. What would happen if this lawlessness continues? How will your child, how will your grandchild react to the evil of society? We see how Daniel did. You understand that Daniel, by his behavior, by his resolution, by his beliefs in a God, he was able to bring a whole people, the Jewish people, back from captivity again. Last night I had the privilege of speaking to a, a graduation exercise of Sunrise Christian Academy. We're now 36 years in our history. And the point was to honor young people. We had 49 graduates, 31 were still here. Others had to go home because of the COVID-19 situation. But of the 30 that were here, it was incredible. Altogether, $3.1 million of academic, athletic, Christian leadership, and other awards were given to this group of, of students. What, what can you say to encourage parents to raise kids in such a way that they can be world changers? Well, here's the gist of what I want you to watch here in just a few minutes. Paul. Paul, it says in Acts chapter 20, he, he didn't know what was going to take place, but he already committed himself that whatever it was, he was willing to sacrifice him for it. Paul sacrificed. He didn't have to sacrifice. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He, he was on top of the food chain, but he sacrificed himself. And then we read a scripture in Samuel about David. David was soon to be king. You know what the Bible says? That David behaved himself wisely, even when threatened by Saul, even when Saul tried to kill him. Even the household of Saul and the servants of Saul said, well, David behaves himself more wisely. And then when you come to Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself. He's God. And yet he humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
We don't find people with that kind of an attitude today that says, let this mind be in you. Then finally, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, that God allowed Jesus to be our substitute for salvation. Jesus gave himself. Saul sacrificed himself. David behaved himself. Jesus humbled himself. And God gave Jesus as a way for us to have eternal life. I want you to watch the graduation exercise, but as you watch it, I want to ask you this. In a world that's becoming more godless, more lawlessness is being seen every day, how will your family stand? I believe we're living in the last days. I believe the setting of lawlessness, just like all the things we've seen concerning the mark of the beast, the lining up of the nations, Jerusalem, the controversy over Jerusalem, it says this, that the coming of Christ must be very near. Let me ask you this, have you ever received Christ as your Savior? And if you do know Christ, what about your family? What about your friends? What about the children and grandchildren under your care? Do they know Christ? Could they stand for God in these last days? May you enjoy this graduation exercise. Tonight, as you join us for the reception, you'll see just at least a, a token of that. Um, matter of fact, if you've been at sunrise very long, or if you've been at sunrise at all, you know that there have been pews in there for 35 years. And uh, pews is the right word for them <laughs> after 35 years. Uh, some of them were maroon, some were mauve, some were pink, but they're gone. And, uh, and so uh, the senior class, their parents have gone together. They've initiated a replacement to replace those pews with chairs. You can't say, no, don't, don't do that because the chairs have already been removed, destroyed, they're gone. Uh, but as of 3.30 today, $14,953 have come in from senior parents and those interested in seeing this project come to completion. So thank you very much to our seniors and to their parents and grandparents. That's a great gift and it will be used for many years to come if the Lord be not come. Thank you very much. It's really a, a high honor for me to uh, address for the last time the senior class as a group, and as well their parents and uh, grandparents. Because by, by now you've seen that, that really it's, it's not just a school, but it really is a family. And, and I'm delighted in that. Matter of fact, 35 years ago or 36 years ago, if I would have ever imagined that the school would grow to this size, I would have said, no, probably not. Matter of fact, my, my father, when, when he saw it, we had our first uh, classroom with six people. And he said, you're not starting a school. And I said, Dad, you're an old man. Just sit over there and relax. It's not a school. I hated to lie to him like that, but I really didn't think it was going to be a school. And even the second year, I denied it. But today, there's no denying it. God has used it. God has blessed it. And I'm thankful that I can be a part of it. As we come to, to this year's class, in many ways, it is a special class. And um, I've gotten to know them some of them for 14 years, some for, for several years, but all of them, one way or another, I have an opportunity to get to know them. 
And it's a special class. It has special memories. I think of some of those that have occurred during the year. I think of so and uh, the paintball wounds, the crazy games. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. Bible lessons, working together as a student body. Those are really important things, and uh, they're very much a part of school, especially a Christian school, as we try to build a body together. I think about traveling to Israel, one of my favorite things to do. And, and the reason is because for them to see the very places that they've been reading and studying for, for all their life, now to actually see the garden tomb, or to see the Sea of Galilee, or Masada, or be at Abraham's tent, these are, these are memories that are etched and burnt into the mind that I think are so important. And of course, the Bahamas, diving, catching sea turtles, jumping off the bridge, going to Atlanta. All these are, are wonderful things, but just being together. I think of the sports, the championships in football and, and girls' basketball and records in cross-country, valograms and the, the crazy nights and hours that we spend doing these projects, drama, and, of course, distance learning. It's, it's hard to let them go. I'll be honest with you. It really is hard for me as a superintendent to let them go, but I can't keep them all. And so as I look at them, as I listen to them tonight, first of all, they're ready to experience the new. And so we must let them go. And I think they're exactly what the society and world needs today. They need young people that can excel. They need young people that can give hope. They need young people that, that can lead and can achieve and can perform. And these are the young people that can do it. And so I and the faculty and you as parents and friends, we must send them off. And tonight we want to send them off in a, in a great way, a grand way. And so I have four little principles that I, I hope will help them and I hope will help us as we look at young people of this caliber. It's been mentioned already several times and, um, and I've tried to, to take an illustration from God's word for each one of these principles. And the first one is this, disruptions often bring opportunities. Listen to these verses from, from Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 22 says, And now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, except that the Holy Spirit witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. It's the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul sacrificed himself. You see, disruptions bring opportunities. I, I, think, I think I correct in saying this, that there's not one person here that hasn't had some, some major changes in the last, let's say, 90 days. And we probably didn't say, okay, bring those changes on. But once those changes came, my guess is that we all look back and say, wow, here's something that I've, that I've learned. Here's something that, that I've learned about God, I've learned about myself, and I've learned about opportunity. Disruptions bring opportunities. I'm convinced of this, that God orders our steps. And so, young people, when you were in PK, God knew that COVID was going to hit your senior year. You know that? He knew all along. He knew when you took Christmas break that spring break would be the last break you're going to get. 
And, uh, you know, people were always talking about snow days. Please call a snow day. Just for fun, I was going to see how excited they were when we called a school day. You know, about May 1st, say, okay, we're going to have a school day today. My guess is I probably would have had 100% attendance. Because we know what happens when disruptions come. You see, Paul, here's what it said about Paul. Paul didn't know. He said, not knowing the things that befall me. But he said, here's, here's what it is. Whatever happens... He said, I want it to bring glory to God. Matter of fact, some of the best opportunities in life will come as a result of, of disruptions. Maybe, maybe it would be safe to say this, that God often works through disruptions. Look back in your own life. Think about how many times God had to disrupt something, and that's what allowed you to grow and to learn. Can you imagine Peter? I'm pretty sure the day that Peter went fishing, he did not think that he was going to be walking on the water. But you know what God did? God interrupted the fishing trip with a storm. And, and Jesus came and, and calmed the sea and, and, and offered Peter a chance to walk on water. That'd be pretty special, wouldn't it? You see, disruptions often bring opportunities. And so, young people, don't say we missed out on whatever, whatever. Don't do that. Because you know what? God gave you some things that no one else had a chance to get. And so you didn't miss out on something. God just gave you something special. Others, listen, others have missed graduations. Matter of fact, I remember in my case, I had young men that were with me. They were planning to graduate and, and the Vietnam War broke out. Others that were in my class, they had things that, that happened to them and, and they never got to walk across the stage because of medical situations. And so, so life is going to be full of this, whether it's medical, war, or, or COVID-19, or 20, or 21. But I know this, that there's no disruption that surprises God. And God plans those for our learning. Somehow or another, God looked down on this class, and he decided that what you were going to learn at home was more important than what you were going to learn in calculus. Man, I, I know it was a toss-up for a long time. And, he, and maybe he thought about going till March 1st before the thing broke loose. But he said, no, my lesson's going to be more important. And so he said, okay, here it comes. And so don't say, oh, we, we really missed out. No, no, you didn't miss out. But what you did, you allowed God to bring something into your life. And so here's what you say. What does God want me to learn and what does God want me to do? You want to know something? I think God is preparing to use you in a great way, in a special way. Never again take for granted things that you think are on the schedule. But always take for granted that God will use those for your good and for your learning. You know what? Paul sacrificed himself. Can you imagine a little boy that was all set to eat his lunch? And then an interruption came. 5,000 men plus women and children showed up. And a disciple steals the little boy's lunch. Well, that interruption was good, wasn't it? You see, God had some things to, to teach Peter. Peter didn't know he could walk on water. God had some things to teach a little boy. The little boy didn't know that that lunch could feed probably 20,000 people. And God has some lessons for you that he wants to teach you. Here's the second principle that I'd like to, to share with you. Unusual times can make you stronger depending on your attitude. You know what? Attitude is critical, isn't it? 
the, the longer I live, the more important I see that we, that we really shape our attitude. Maybe, maybe that may be the most important thing that we learn in life is that attitude often shapes destiny. I'm going to listen. I want you to listen to I read some verses in 1 Samuel. I think you'll get the point. And David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people, also in the sight of Saul's servants. A little later in the chapter said this. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David escaped from his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David and was departed from Saul. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with David. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, that would be David, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Again, later in the chapter, it said this. And the princes of the Philistines went forth. It came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much esteemed. Paul sacrificed himself. David behaved himself. You know, you might say, wow, David was the the king to be. David soon would replace Saul. And if that's the case, then, then maybe David should have no rules at all. And God says, no. I'm going to bless David because David behaved himself. You want to know something? Today, people that behave themselves, whether in the presence of an enemy or in their own home, are highly sought after. May I present to you young people that I think have the potential to do that. You see, unusual times will either make you stronger or it'll make you destroy, depending on your attitude. And David, can you imagine David being set over all the, 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 the army of Saul? And, and when, when David would win the battle, well, instead of being cheered on by, by Saul, Saul sought to kill him. I mean, he, he tried to kill his own general. Not once, but twice. And as soon as the second time came, the Bible is quick to point out that David behaved himself. And, and when Saul sent him on impossible missions, David knew they were impossible. And, and by the time he's done, it said this, that he behaved himself more wisely. And even the Philistines, Saul's house and David's household, they all said, wow, guess what? David behaves himself. What a testimony. Unusual times. Young people, not just this little epidemic. But I have a feeling that if the Lord tarries very long, you're going to find yourself living in unusual times. Every year there's going to be something that will make it so that you either search where you are before God and you'll get stronger. Or it will, it will rock you to your very core and you'll say, wow, what, what in the world does life have to offer me? I hope that your attitude will allow you to say, you know what, I'm going to behave myself because I know that God blesses in the long run. Here's the third one. The third one is this. Find God's plan for your life and not your plan. I've been at lots of graduations. When I count up how many graduations I've been at, it's horrible. 
I've been at kindergarten graduations, eighth grade graduations, senior high graduations, my own graduations, enemies graduations, friends graduations. Friend, oh, wow. I, I, the other day, I, kind of, I think I've been at 130 graduations. Do you know how bored I've been most of my life? <laughs> I mean, really, it's horrible. And if you know, some of those college graduations, they go on a long time. You know, 8,000 people. And they read their dissertation title. It's horrible. How'd I get off on that? Oh, yeah, God plans. God has plans for your life. You see, I've heard people say, find a course, choose the course, don't deviate. I don't think that's good advice. Young people, I'm not saying find a plan for your life and pursue it. I'm telling you, find God's plan for your life and pursue God's plan. Because you see, here's what I know. I know that, that sometimes we make plans and they're not very good. I have to be careful not to tell you all the details, but I'll just tell you some. You know what I put down as my major when I was a senior in high school? Baseball pitcher. Uh, God spared me. Yeah, God spared me. And, and you know what? God was so intent that I wasn't going to be a baseball pitcher. My father knew it. My mother never watched me play, so she would, I don't think she even knows what position the pitcher plays. But, but, but you know what? God had, God had to stop the baseball program at WSU, so I'd have to choose a new major. Isn't God gracious? Now, I didn't think he was when I was 18 years old. I thought, God, how can you do this to me? The only thing I could do is throw a fastball and a curveball. And God says, no, I don't want you to waste all your time trying to throw that little ball. I'm not against baseball. Matter of fact, I kind of like it. I hope they get to play it sometime this year or next, but probably not. Uh, anyway, that's another story. So God, God had a plan. And God's plan is better than my plan. Because I'll tell you what, I don't think I could be 107 years old and still be pitching for the Cleveland Indians. But you can still be superintendent of a school. <laughs> and then all you have to do is throw spitballs. <laughs> well, well here's, here's a verse that I want you to, to listen to. Because I think it illustrates this point. It's in Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wow. Can you imagine Jesus humbled himself. Now, Paul sacrificed himself. David behaved himself. And Jesus humbled himself. You see, God's plan never fails. And, and here is Jesus, the only person who would never have to be humbled because he was God. And God humbles himself. David, who was going to be king, he behaved himself. Saul, who had incredible, in, incredible capabilities in so many areas, and he sacrificed himself, and God honored them all. You see, God's plan never fails. And so, young people, I encourage you 
Don't find your plan, find God's plan. Here's, here's what I can tell you. Whatever you give to God, you'll never lose it. If you give your life to God, you'll never lose it. But if you say, I'm going to keep my life for myself, I'm going to keep it for my own satisfaction, you know what? You will fail. Young people, I know you've heard me say it before, I would rather fail in my own personal plans and be invested in a plan that will eventually succeed than to succeed in a plan on this earth that will eventually fail. And so find God's plan for your life. And the fourth one, the last one, is this. It's not who you are that's important, but it's whose you are that's important. I, I want to read to you again a, a scripture verse. And I think it illustrates what I have in mind. And hopefully you'll see the connection. Second Corinthians chapter 5. For he, that's God, for God hath made him, that's Christ, for God hath made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. A purpose for eternity. God gave himself. Here's Saul. He sacrificed himself. Do, do you understand? This man that sacrificed himself, he was already on the Sanhedrin. He, he had achieved some incredible things. He sacrificed it for God. God blessed him and used him. Here's David. David behaved himself. He, he could have said, I'm exempt from behaving because I'm the king to be. And here's Jesus. He humbled himself. He had no reason to be humble, but he humbled himself to take on death, to take on the cross. And here's Jesus. And he gave himself. It's not who you are. You see, you're talented. You're gifted. You're blessed. But if you're not careful, you're going to be thinking, you know what? I'm bright enough that I can figure my, my way out of every situation. You are bright. You are talented. You are gifted. You are blessed. But do you understand that more important than who you are is whose you are. And God decided that in his love, he would give his son for you. And so I'm not trying to do something to please God. Jesus pleased God. But what I'm trying to do is to say, Lord, I recognize that Jesus gave himself for me. And so I want to give myself back to you because I know that you really are the master of the universe. Young people, I applaud you for your accomplishments. I pray that, that you will work, continue to work hard to achieve the best. But you'll remember these things, that everything you do bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and how I thank you tonight for this opportunity to work with these young people. What a blessing it is. And Father, I stand back. I look at how bright they are. I look at the impact that, that I think they can make on this world. But Father, I thank you most of all that they sit here tonight knowing to whom they belong. And Father, I pray that, that they will be honest with you, honest with themselves, honest with God, and that they will decide to use their life, their talents for you. Father, help them like David to behave themselves. They're going to be given a, an open door so many ways. Father, help them to behave themselves. Father, help them to sacrifice themselves. Help them to, to do what's right for God. And Father, help them 
Help them to make an impact, not just in this life, but for eternity. Father, I thank you for the principles of God's word. I thank you for these young people, for their families. Father, may they be the ones that become the light, the spiritual light in a world that desperately needs to see young people that have a spiritual light. Thank you for all you've given to us in these young people. We pray it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to ask a question of Dr. Linstead and or Bible Truth and Prophecy, please email us at the Bible Truth and Prophecy, or BTIP as we call it, email address. That's BibleTipNow at gmail.com. B-I-B-L-E-T-I-P-N-O-W at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.